are going to be in Acts chapter 4 today, so you can turn to Acts chapter 4 uh, today. Anyone need a Bible? We, uh, we have some people, uh, some right here on the front row. Uh, anybody else need one? We'll put one in your hand right now. I won't make fun of you uh, like I do my friends. Anybody else need one? You're going to need it today. I didn't make any slides today. You're not going to get to just, you know, work off my slides on the, on the overhead today. This is actually, you're going to have to use your Bible, turn your pages, or scroll, whichever one it is. If you're scrolling, don't scroll to other apps. I know. I know. So Acts chapter 4 that's where we'll be today. And as you know, we've, uh, we've been a, a, a lot of times, yeah, spent a lot of time in, in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4, and uh, we've, we've seen the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we got a good recap last week, and so we kind of transition a little bit out of all the goings-on that were happening, and we get to our text today in Acts chapter 4. And so I'm going to read that, uh, or we'll read that together. Uh, we'll be picking up in verse 23. That's uh, where we'll read from today. So... Uh, turn, uh, we'll begin in verse 23. When they were released, um, uh, so, we, you know, we go back and we, we see all this in, uh, in Acts chapter 4 where uh, uh, Peter and John uh, were, they were held captive because they were preaching the gospel and they held them there and they basically said, don't go say that stuff anymore. Uh, it's what they basically told them. And so, and then they really didn't have any charges against them. So they're like, okay, I guess we'll just release you guys. And so that's where we pick up. When they were released... They went back to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly... Truly, in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the other peoples, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders and perform, are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and, cont and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We'll stop right there. Let me pray again one more time for us. God, we need you. Holy Spirit, use um, the words that I proclaim today. Use them uh, the way you see fit. Uh, draw us close to Jesus, and in his name we pray, amen. So, uh, all right, we're going to start right there in 23. So let's read 23 and 24 again. Uh, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them, and they heard it. They lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So let's just stop right there, and we're going to kind of get into uh, people acknowledging who their God actually is. And so uh, right off the bat, they said they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said. And so Peter and John had good news to report whenever they went back. They're like, man, we've got some good things uh, to say to you together. And, and they were like, man, we got to tell them all about Jesus. 
Well, we got to declare these things to them. And man, it was so cool. I could just kind of see them. You, you know, they run back and you go back with your squad. They're like, dude, you're not going to believe this. What we got to do, we got to tell them about Jesus. These are the people that we've been wanting to know Jesus anyway. And we got to tell them all about him. And, they, and they're like, they thought we were just like him. They, they saw what was a transformation in us. And so they were excited to say that they were kind of accused of being a lot like Jesus. That they were they like, hey, you're doing some of the same kinds of things that he did. And so they were thrilled to be accused of being like Jesus. How about that? What if you were accused of being like Jesus? How cool would that be? I mean, that would be, that's, that's not a slur, or that's not a cut, or that's not anything else. That's like, we want that to be said about us, right? I mean, we, we want people to go, man, being around that cat, that's like being around Jesus. I want that to be said about me. I want that to be said about you. I want us to be so immersed in the things of Jesus, that's so immersed in what the, the gospel transformation brings in our life, that people look at us and go, man, that's, that's like, that's refreshing, I, I want to be more like that cat because he, he, like, he looks like Jesus. I, I want that to be said about us. And then they, they said, they told us not to tell anybody else about Jesus. But you know, that's not going to happen. And, and so that's what they went back and reported. And so the early Christian community that we see forming here in Acts Uh, I'm sure it was a mixture of the apostles and and some other people that had come to follow Jesus. Uh, They they had this prayer meeting, and that's really what this main text is about. It's a prayer. Um, And and so as things kind of happened, they knew that this was an important time. And what did they do in an important time? I just told you what the text is about. Prayer. Prayer. Yeah, they prayed. They prayed when something important was coming up. What moves you to prayer? If you think about your prayer life, and I want you to think about your prayer life, what is it that moves you to pray? What is it that moves you to go, I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to pray. I'm going to just stop everything I'm doing. I'm going to put my phone down and I'm going to turn the radio off or whatever the thing is, and I'm going to pray. What moves you to prayer. Do you ever just stop and pray in the moment? Do you ever just stop and go, man, let's just pray. I'll tell you one of the things that that I've tried to make it a practice of because I know me well enough and it's hard for me to remember what I had for breakfast this morning, you know, or uh, just anything. You know, old stroke boy uh, has trouble remembering lots of things. Uh, but so I, I really try to stop and pray in the moment. If you ask me to pray for you, the lion's share of time, I'm probably going to pray for you right then. Uh, so if you see me in Walmart and you ask me to pray for you, bro, pull the buggy over uh, because... <laughs> Because we're probably going to pray right there because if, if I don't, I'll, I'll probably forget. And I'll tell you that, man, I'll, I'll pray for you, brother. And I probably won't. And I don't intend to lie to you, but I'll probably forget. Unless you see me put it in my phone and go, hey, pray for this dude tomorrow at 2 o'clock because he's going in for procedure. I'll, I'll do that too. But the vast majority of the time, I'm going to pray for you in the moment. Why? One, it says it, it brings value to the other person. If, 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 if I ask you to pray for me, 
and you pray for me right there, man, that means a lot to me. That means a lot to me that you would stop and just pray for me in the moment. It shows me that you care about me. It shows me that you're not just giving me some religious response. Yet, oh, brother, I'll pray for you. I know you ain't gonna pray for me. You're gonna forget like I forget. But I'd stop and pray for people in the moment. And honestly, and the third thing I think it does is it gives us a witness to the world around us. That we stop in the moment and you're in Kroger on the produce aisle and you sit the bananas down and, and you pray right there. That says something to the world around that these people, these people are praying in Kroger. That says a lot. So I just want to encourage you in your prayer time. If somebody asks you to pray for them, bro, pray for them right then. It says a lot. And, and, and so the events here that they're encountering, they, they, it's moved them to prayer. And so it says that they lifted up their voices together. So they prayed vocally. Now, I know in the good old South how we pray. And what is the vast, how do we pray the vast majority of our prayers in the South? It's the same way that you're doing right now. In silence, yes. Uh, uh, we pray the vast majority of our prayers in silence. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, okay, hey, will you pray for me? Hey, let's all pray. <laughs> That's what we do. Right? You do it. I know you do. I do it too. But man, that's not what they did here. That's not what we see them doing in Acts. They are praying vocally about what's going on. They they are voicing their prayers. I want to encourage you, church, to voice your prayers. Voice your prayers to people. If you're in a group of people, voice your prayers to people. If If you're in a group prayer, man, say your prayer out loud. It's an encouraging thing for people to hear you pray for them. It's something that bolsters you as you are praying for other people rather than just listening to someone else pray. But our prayers seem to be uh, uh, received, and they definitely are received whenever we say them out loud. So I encourage you, uh, speak out loud whenever you pray. Now, this says that they prayed in one voice, uh, and Uh, some commentators will tell you they didn't all pray individually. Uh, I don't know if I land in that same spot that some of the commentators do, uh, that one person prayed and and, and everybody agreed with what the one person was praying. I I just don't land there. Uh, But it says, with one accord, they lifted up their voices to God. And what I believe that really teaches us is that they prayed in unity, that they all were praying for the same thing, that they all were going... I know what needs to be prayed for here because they said it. They told me what needs to be prayed for. And so all of us who are gathered around together are praying for the same thing. Their hearts were aligned around the same thing that they were praying for. The desires of their hearts were unified as they were praying for this, uh, for this particular things that were happening here. Their prayers were aligned in the things that they were praying for. And so when it talks about them being of one accord, I think that's what it looks like. So anytime we invite somebody up and we go, hey, let's pray over this person, our hearts should be aligned to what we're praying over someone. Our hearts, our prayers 
should be aligned in what we're praying over someone. And I believe that's what the text is teaching us here is that they were praying in one accord. They were all praying for the same thing. And, and it says that they did this together. So they were unified. There's a lot of unity that was going on. The, the truth is that when the Spirit of God indwells us as followers of Jesus, the things we, the, the, the Spirit is not divided. The Spirit is not divided. So what my heart longs for uh, and, and say, let's just talk about if it's something around Refuge Church, your heart should long for those same things because God's not going to put pit me against you. He's not going to pit you against someone else and having our hearts for something, for one, one cause. Our hearts are going to be united just like theirs were united. There, was, there, there wasn't one group saying we should pray for this and, and we should pray for that. They had the same mind whenever they were praying together. Their prayers were unified. Their minds were unified around what, the, what it was that the Spirit wanted them to do. And the Spirit was making them be one together. And so in this prayer, they prayed to the sovereign God. They said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So as they prayed, they were reminding themselves of who God is. Sovereign God. What does it mean to be sovereign? You know what it means to be sovereign? We don't use that word a lot in the United States. You know, we talked about that here. We're very individualistic and we all do our own things. We march to our own beat of our own drummer. So we don't think of a sovereign lots of times uh, the way other countries see a king or something like that. Uh, we, we can have a president that you're either for or against and you can say anything you want to about him. But if there's a king in a, another country, they understand thinking about a sovereign. So when they prayed to a sovereign God, who were they praying for? Who were they praying to? Why don't you just tell us, preacher? Uh, they, they were praying to the God of all creation, the one who spoke the world into existence. They were well aware of who God is and the power that God has. And so there was no division among who they were praying to. They were praying to the God who speaks and the world leaped into existence. How did God create the world? Did he pick up some sand and mold it together? How did he create the world? He spoke, he, yeah, he's, and God said, let there be whatever the thing was. And God spoke, and let there be a giraffe. And God spoke, and let there be an iguana. You know what I'm saying? That, that's what happened. The, the scripture is very clear that God spoke these things into existence. He said, let there be, and there was. And so how does the New Testament tell us that all these things hold together? That's, that's God speaking in Genesis and the world being created. How does the New Testament tell us that all this stays in its right place? You know what it says? It says that Jesus holds all this together by the power of his what? Yeah, by, the, by his word. He holds it all together. He says, uh, uh, what was that song? Uh, uh, you don't let the oceans go any further. Uh, C.C. Winans sing that song? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I can't remember what it was. I should have written that down. That just popped in my head. There. Anyway, but, but in her song, she's talking about uh, God only lets them oceans go as far as he says they can go. And if he wants them to overflow their banks, you know what they do? What do they do? They overflow the banks. 
And if God says, hey, we'll let this day last a little bit longer, you know what happens? The day lasts longer because he is the sovereign God. He is the ruler over all things. Nothing happens outside the sovereign God causing or allowing it to happen by the power of his word. And so they were declaring that God is in control of everything, and we believe that God is in control, and he is in control of all things. There is nothing outside of things happening. I, I, know, I know lots of people, even when we get to salvation, here's the thing that's always interesting to me. Um, it, it's that some people will believe that God is in control of everything except what? Huh? except people becoming Christians. God holds it all together. He sets the planets in motions. He tells the oceans where they can go. He says the day and the night can be what they can be. God controls everything except salvation. And that one is outside of God having any control in and over. That's the one exception that we set out there. I don't hold to that personally. I believe God is sovereign over all things, including salvation. That's not part of today's sermon. That's a whole different sermon, and you can call me about that one. Send me a text about that one later. But when we pray, so just like these people that we see in our text, sometimes we forget who it is that we're praying to, the sovereign God over all creation, the one who holds it together by the power of his word. Sometimes I think we even create our own God and our own imagination about who he actually is and who this God is that we're actually praying to. The disciples knew who they were praying to. They had seen the power of God. Why did they pray with such boldness? Why did they pray in such confidence? Why did they pray in declaring who God was? One, they had spent time with Jesus. They'd spent time with him while he was here on the earth. They listened to his teaching. They sat under his teaching. You guys kind of sit under preaching once a week, or maybe you listen to a sermon along the way. Think if you spent three years uh, with Jesus, listening to him teach, watching him do the things that he did. They spent years with him. They watched him in his tenderness. They watched him be tender and gentle and, and, and interact with people who were uh, outcasts from their particular society during the time. And then they watched him in power have rule over the, wor over the weather. Remember when Jesus was walking on the water and, and there was this storm and it was all kind of crazy going on and all of a sudden he just said, peace be still. And what, what did the scripture tell us? That it, was smooth, it stopped and it was like smooth as glass. They saw things like that happen with Jesus. So he was God over creation. And the number one reason that they were confident in this, because they had witnessed the what? Begins with an R. Ends with resurrection. What do you think that is? Yeah, the resurrection. Yeah, you guys are good. Uh, they say they were witnesses to the resurrection. So they had seen Jesus die on a cross. They had seen him flogged and, and skin ripped from his body like the Romans that did with him. They saw him nailed to a cross. They saw him die. They saw him be buried. There was a tomb where he was. And then they saw him overcome death. And so he was alive. They had seen him. And because of this, they were bold in what it was that they had to say and do. They had no questions that the God that they were following, Jesus, the one who they were following, the one who they were proclaiming, had overcome death 
and hell and the grave. So they prayed their prayers with confidence. What about your own prayers? Do you pray with confidence? Do you pray in confidence in the God that you're praying to? The God that you're speaking to? The one that you're asking to do particular things in your life? Do you realize who you're praying to? Do you realize what kind of power that the God that you're praying to actually has? The same God that the scripture tells us holds the things together by the power of his word is the same God that you are praying to. The same Jesus that you're trusting for your eternal soul security is the same one that you're praying to, asking to help you in your time of need, asking you to intercede for you in times of trouble. Do you believe that this is who you're praying your prayers to or have your prayers just become rote and the same thing over and over again? You say the same blessing over your food. You say your same prayers at night. You say your same prayers in the morning. Have they just become rote? If you've fallen into that trap, man, have somebody shake you today. Pray that the Holy Spirit will shake you today in going, you are praying to the God of the universe who has overcome death and hell and the grave and who holds this whole thing together literally by the power of his word. That's who we pray to. That's who we trust to answer our prayers. Why would we be a nonchalant people entering the presence of the God who holds all things together and has now given you eternal life in Christ Jesus? Acknowledge who he is. Acknowledge how much he loves you and how he has made you his own. If you're a Christian, you belong to this God and King. He, he calls you his friend. He has adopted you in and you belong to him, the same God with all this power that we're talking about. He says, if you're a Christian, you are his. Amen? That's good. Let's keep going. Look in verse 25. So he prays on, we'll pick up at Sovereign Lord there in the middle of 24. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them? Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And so we don't really know who specifically said these words. We don't know who specifically prayed this prayer. Uh, but, but, but whoever was recorded saying this was praying on behalf of the disciples. His, his prayer is the one that got recorded for us here in the book of Acts. And so... Um, from this, you, you probably got it kind of set apart in your text, in your Bible. This is actually from Psalm 2. And, and, and so he was declaring the words of the Lord from Psalm chapter 2. And, and so God, and, and in this, God had spoken through his servant David in Psalm chapter 2. And so they were repeating this in their particular prayer. 
And so the, the, the apostles and the people there, they, they knew their Old Testament. They knew their texts uh, during that time. And so they were repeating these things from Psalm chapter 2, and they were saying these are actually the words of the Lord. They were said by King David. And the earliest Christians had a high view of the scriptures, and they trusted what the scriptures had to say. We say that same thing here at Refuge. We have a high view of the scriptures. We trust what the scriptures have to say. It's why we preach expository preaching. So that, you know, as we've said before, we don't get to skip over the hard stuff. We don't get to kind of pick and choose what it is that we want to say supporting our points that we're making. Expository preaching says we're covering all of the things that God has recorded in his book because we just don't want to miss anything. We don't get to pick and choose what we believe. That's another important point for us is we don't get to like, pick out pieces of the scriptures. I, the way I grew up, I missed a lot of the scriptures because the vast majority of the preaching that I sat under was topical preaching. And so there was lots of the scriptures that I just missed. And so when I began to read my Bible more and sit under expository preaching or, or listen to preachers who were expository preachers, which is what we do here, verse by verse teaching through the text, I was like, I've never heard that before. I've never heard that said before. And suddenly there were things that were conflicting in my life that I go, well, I've always heard it said like this. I've never heard this before. And so expository preaching is a big piece of what we believe is important because we hold the scriptures. I'm not saying that people don't, that preach expository preaching don't hold the scriptures in high regard, but it's why we preach the way we preach because it's so valuable to us. What's your view of the scriptures? Examine your own heart and your own mind. What's your view of the scriptures? Do you have a high view of the scriptures, a low view of the scriptures? Do you believe it all? Do you believe some of it is subject to your own interpretation, your own desires, your own lifestyle that you live? The early church had a high view of the scripture. We want to keep that high view of the scriptures. Uh, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? That's what, that's what the text part uh, uh, says here. Uh, and they were encouraging themselves to not, again, be distraught over the things that were happening around them. Again, because they were reminding themselves that God is in control of all things. We know that the early church experienced lots of opposition. I mean, lots of persecution, lots of people raging against them, especially as the church began to come onto the scene and the church began to grow and, and people following Jesus began to grow. They actually received real persecution, real opposition, real threats of their own lives. And so they, even in the face of all those difficulties, they took a stand for the truth in that day. And so I have to ask that question for us. Are we taking a stand for the truth? Are you taking a stand for the truth? Are you staying firm on the truths of Scripture? Or have you become molded and shaped by the culture where the culture affects your lens of what you see in the Scriptures? Or do you let culture be interpreted through your understanding of the Scriptures? It's an important distinction that we all must make. Seeing our circumstances in light of God's word also means 
seeing ourselves when there's a sin problem in ourselves. It's important for us to understand them rightly and see when the scripture is kind of being that surgeon that kind of kind of gets inside of our own selves whenever we read a text and go, ugh. That's kind of convicting to me. And it's important for us to see the scriptures in that life as not as a reckless uh, knife that goes into us, but like a surgeon that carves out pieces of us and, go, and exposes them to us and said, here's the place, here's that dark spot in you that we need to get out, that we need to expose to what the truth is. Psalmist said this, when I kept it all inside, my bones turned to powder. My words became a day-long groans. The pressure never let up, and the juices of my life dried up. He said, when I kept all this inside, when I tried to hide my sin, that's the way I felt. He was saying, I need to get this exposed to the light. I would encourage you to do those same things. Maybe it's confessing some ongoing sin in your life. Maybe it's a besetting sin in your life that you just can't seem to shake. Maybe you need to talk with somebody in your gospel community group or maybe talk with one of our pastors and go, Pastor, and I just, there's this sin in my life that I just can't seem to shake. What do I do in light of this? Look, your pastors aren't going to bring condemnation to you in those kinds of times. Maybe that's your history with the church, but our goal is not to heap more condemnation on you. Our, our hope is to say, hey, let's expose this sin. Let, let's talk about what this sin actually is and then let's bring it to the Lord. Let's confess it. And let's receive the forgiveness that comes with Jesus. That's what we want to do. That's what we want you to do with your sin. You may say, yeah, preacher, but you always say where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Right? And so can I just keep sinning and grace abound even more? Isn't that, isn't that what that means? Look, preacher, sin, I mean, I mean, if this is sin and grace abounds, I mean, I just get more grace, preacher. Paul talked about that. He knew we would ask that question. He knew our sinful hearts, right? He knew we would ask that question. I, I would have. I remember a time in my life that I go, hey, <laughs> sin abounds, grace much more abounds. What? <laughs> I mean, that, that's the way I would live. But that's foolish. Paul talks about that. He says, by no means, we don't want to live that same way. We don't want to live this, a place where we just are free and willy-nilly in our sin. Should we do that? By no means. If you have an ongoing sin, some unrepentant sin that maybe you're hiding from others, your work, your kids, your spouse, but the Lord knows it all. You may hide it from me. You may hide it from your spouse for the rest of your life. Guess who you don't hide it from? What's, what's the answer? Yeah, You don't hide it from him, bro. Preacher, I do my sins in the dark. The Lord's got like night vision. He sees, bro. He knows. You don't hide your sins in the dark. In seriousness, repent of that sin. Declare, say what that sin is. Say, God, I recognize this sin is against you and you alone. I, and I'm going to repent. I want to turn from my sin. Please forgive me for my sin. Be refreshed by the Holy Spirit. And don't, live, don't keep living in that same sin. Put it to death. And Scripture calls us to put those things to death. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Freedom from being bound by that sin over and over. Let's keep going. Verse 28. 
Uh, do whatever your hand and your plan has predestined to take place. That's what he says at the end of verse 28. And so they saw their circumstances of kind of this persecution that was coming at them and, and people coming at them like, hey, man, we're going to put you in prison. We're not really sure why, but you, we, we just don't like what you're doing. Just be quiet whenever you don't talk about this Jesus stuff. You know, they were already starting to see some pushback from the people around them. Um, but what they rec recognized that there was nothing that could happen to them outside of God's control. These enemies could only, these enemies of Jesus could only do whatever the hand of God allowed them to do. And honestly, it brings a lot of peace to me, and I hope it does to you, that no matter what your circumstances are, no matter what they are, they have been sifted through the hand of the living God. God doesn't not see things. God doesn't not see you. God doesn't turn his blind I to you if you are in Christ Jesus. He has either allowed it or ordained it to happen in your life for whatever his purposes are. Sometimes it's sad stuff. And I don't get it. Sometimes it's tragic stuff. And I don't get it. Sometimes it's just really ugly, twisted up things that happen in our lives. And you know what? I don't get it, but I do know that the sovereign God of the universe has had it come through his hands, and no matter how difficult or how hard it is to walk through it or how painful it might be to us here, man, it, it, literally, our life is a vapor. We get 70 years, maybe. Some of us don't get that. We get just a few years to endure, to walk through, trusting the God that we say we trust, that it has passed through his sovereign hands. And so we can live. We don't have to hold on and cling to this life so tightly because there's a sovereign God that tells us to be absent from this body, even if it kills me, is to be present with the Lord. How glorious is it to live that way? I love my life here. I love my life. I love the life that I get to live. I love to get it my, live my life with you all. I love to live the life that I get to live here. But oh my goodness, to be absent from this life, which is wonderful, is to be present with the Lord. Are you kidding me? It doesn't get better than that. Nothing happens outside God's sovereign hand. Let's keep going. Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 29 29 and 30 says this, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So this request was saying, hey, this is all about you, God. This is all about your glory. This is all about uh, your cause, what it is that you want to happen. Uh, and, and it's interesting here because they don't ask for comfort or relief. They just say, hey, we'll take on more persecution if it means that your name gets to be proclaimed. 
Whatever you want to bring our way is okay with us because we're trusting that it is your name that people need to know. People need to know the name of Jesus. People need to know the story of Jesus coming and Jesus dying on a cross and being, Jesus being resurrected. And if you have to kill me all the day long, then do that. I'm okay. Your sovereign hand is at work, and we're okay with that. So bring it on for the sake of people knowing Jesus. That's, that's what they were saying. That's what they were, they weren't even saying it. They were praying it. They were asking for it. Not the way we pray a lot. Hey, Lord, will you take these people away from me? Hey, Lord, will you strike them down with your mighty right hand? <laughs> you know, will you bury them in the sand, Lord? We have a building following my enemy, Lord. You know, that's the way we typically pray, is that we don't want to have to, anything to do with that. And I get it. I, I don't want to be persecuted. I don't want to be, I don't want to have to live in fear of people. I don't want to have to live in a place where things aren't going my way because people are against me. But they prayed, we're okay with that for the name of God, name of Jesus being lifted up. They had boldness in the face of threats that were coming out. And, and they go on to say, and they, they said, by the stretching out of your hand to heal. What they said was, hey, we know it's not us that does these miraculous things that we see happening, but we want your name known so much. We want you to stretch out your hand and for things to happen because your hand is at work. And he, God chooses to do lots of things through his own people. But the truth is, you and I don't heal anyone, right? Like, I couldn't have some big crusade out here and go, come to see Pastor Scott because he's going to heal you. What do you do if that ever happens here? Run. Yeah. Find another church. Go to Jonathan Dunn's church. Uh, wherever you've got to find, but go somewhere else besides here. If that ever was ever said by me in this pulpit or anybody in this pulpit, uh, we'll, we'll rebuke them and draw and quarter them or something. Uh, but so watch yourselves, elders. Uh, but you and I don't heal anybody. Jesus does. The Holy Spirit does. We pray. We believe. We lay hands on people. We do what the Scripture tells us to do. If you're sick, it says call your elders and ask them to lay hands on you. We do this often, not often, but we, we've done this number of times with people that have called us and said, hey, will you elders come and pray over us and lay hands on us? And we've done that. And we do, we do that because the Scripture calls us to. We don't heal anybody. Holy Spirit does that work. He just instructs us in the mechanism of what he calls us to do. We get to glorify him in the middle of that. We trust that God is the one who heals. And I'll just say this. It's a devilish snare to fall into the place of crediting yourself with miraculous things. You and I should be delighted in the power of God when we see it happening. I tell people that all the time right now. I said, man, the Lord is doing cool stuff at Refuge. I mean, we're seeing a lot of people come to know the Lord. We're seeing lots of people being reconciled to one another. We're seeing uh, lots of people being awakened to the gospel. We're seeing people that have been in church for their entire lives come and go, man, I've never been baptized. We want, I want to be baptized. We see people that haven't been to church in 29 years. They come and they go, man, I want to follow Jesus and I want to be baptized. We baptized the guy right here just a couple weeks ago. Had that very testimony. Don Rock. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. That is nothing that we do. We get to participate. It's the Lord 
who awakens people to the gospel. It's the Lord who awakens people to the truth. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. We just get to go to work with Dad. That's what he was encouraging them to do. We want to make much of Jesus just like these guys were making much of Jesus. Let me get to verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so the place where they were assembled was shaken. I think, I really believe, I've just read and studied this piece because I wasn't really exactly sure what it meant. I, I really think that it was almost like God was acknowledging, hey, you guys are praying and you're praying in one accord, and I hear you, and so this is the way I'm going to let you know. You know, like the place should, that's kind of what, I don't know if it's true or not, that's the way I see it. It's like, uh, almost like a response from God, it's like he like slammed his uh, God fist down on the, like a Thor or something outside there, wherever they were, and the place shook. Probably didn't happen that way, but that's just the way my mind works. Uh, and, and so he was like, man, I hear your prayers. And I'm thankful that you guys are praying in this way, acknowledging what's happening here. And so um, uh, you know, it's an interesting thing how we can take and move scripture and try to make it say what it is that we want it to say. There was a guy that uh, one commentator said this, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so wonderfully manifested that even the dead walls felt the power of the Holy Spirit of life. It was matter responding to the Spirit. Matter responding to the Spirit. You know, it, it, uh, Jesus had said that if, you, if, if the people around him didn't cry out and praise to him, what would cry out to him? The rocks. Even the rocks would cry out to praise his name. And, and so it wasn't that these guys weren't praising his name, but he still shook the building and going, hey, I'm with you. This, I, you are, what you're doing is the right thing to do. And then the Bible says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so let me just talk about that to uh, kind of address any con confusion that might be swirling in your head. Um, there is a difference between the filling with the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, okay? Filling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit lives within you. You are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Um, but sometimes the Bible says that we can quench the Spirit, by our actions, by the things that we do, by maybe sin in our life that is unconfessed, that we can actually quench the spirit. And so almost like thinking throwing a, a, a wet towel, you know, again, it's just my own visual, a wet towel over the spirit just to kind of squash it down uh, just a little bit. But on the other end of the spectrum, whenever we begin to submit all of our lives to the Holy Spirit, Whenever we begin to, to turn over more of our lives, whenever we begin to follow some of these New Testament commands to put this thing away and put on these things, hey, put these things to death in you, put the, these things should come to life in you. Whenever we begin to live in those kinds of things and, and we submit more and more of our lives to the King, the Holy Spirit 
keeps filling us up. A fresh and new anointing from the Spirit. A fresh and new filling where we are more, even more so, uh, filled with the Spirit where He is helping us overcome those sin in our lives. Does that make sense to you, church? And so don't get confused there. I'm not trying to say that there's some second filling where all of a sudden the Spirit went away and now I've got to have the Holy Spirit again. The Holy Spirit lives in you as a follower of Jesus. Just as we submit more and more of our lives to the kingship of Jesus, the Spirit is more and more filling us. And you'll see that all through the New Testament, especially in Acts. Where there's, and he was filled with the Spirit, and he was filled with the Spirit. You'll even see that about some of the apostles. It says about, and he was filled with the Spirit. And so what you'll see, so don't get confused by that. It's not like the Spirit went away from them. There's just more and more of their lives being turned over and controlled by the Spirit. Tracking with me? If you have questions about that, ask Pastor Paul. Um, <laughs> Bible says that they spoke the word of God with boldness. And basically, they were saying, they were telling of all the truth. They were not afraid to speak the truth. They were not afraid to say the things of God. Uh, and their boldness that they received was a gift from God. And they received it through prayer. It's not something that they worked up in themselves. All right, preacher, so what? What's the purpose behind all this? I have five things. Uh, first one is uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the more in, the more. Uh, uh, manifesting of the Holy Spirit, the more filling of the Holy Spirit is what all of us desperately need today. Giving more of our lives over to control of the Holy Spirit is what we desperately need today. My fear, you talk, we talk about golden ticket theology here at Refuge, and golden ticket theology is I prayed that prayer once, I'll give God my golden ticket whenever I get to heaven. And remember that thing I did when I was seven? That's golden ticket theology, and that's bad theology. But more and more of our lives that are submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, submitting to his rule and his reign, then the more we become filled and are again filled and filled up more and filled up more with the Holy Spirit. We need more of that in our churches today. Why? Because of the challenges that we continue to face as followers of Jesus. Because of the challenges of, and the opposition that we face in our own lives, even today, we must be willing to stand what is true and loving and stand firm in a gracious way in the face of rising opposition and vitriol that may come your way. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit is what we desperately need today. Secondly, prayer must be the weapon of grace that is our first choice. It was not the apostles that prayed this prayer today, almost every commentator agrees. This was not one of the apostles that prayed this prayer. It was someone else that was not an apostle, someone else that didn't spend three years every day with Jesus. Um, you don't need men to be your liaison between you and God. You don't need me as your pastor to be your liaison between you and the Lord. You don't need Pastor Paul or Pastor PJ or Pastor Blake or any other pastor. You, you don't need anybody else to be your liaison between you and the Lord. We are not Catholic. I don't mean that to hurt anybody's feelings, but we, we don't live in that kind of world. I'm not the Pope. I say this to all my Catholic friends that choose to come to refuge. Man, we are glad you are here. We, we are glad that you've chosen to come to refuge and sit and learn, just like we're all learning this, as we're all learning as we go through the text, worshiping Jesus with us. 
But I'll be honest with you, you don't need me to pray for you. I am not your intermediary. That is not my role in your life. You don't need a priest to be your intermediary whenever you uh, need to go to the Lord. You don't need the Pope to be your intermediary to speak for you. He is not infallible. You know who is infallible? One person. Who is it? Jesus is the only infallible. There is one. The scripture is very clear. There is one, say one, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. One person stands between me and the Lord. It's not another pastor. It's not another bishop. It's not a levels of religiosity. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You have direct access to the Father's throne because of Jesus, not because of anybody else. I'll move on. Third reason this is important. We face many obstacles today. This happened post-resurrection. This happened post the Spirit coming. Uh, and so this is the day in which we live is, is in this side of the resurrection of Jesus. And so we face many obstacles too. Persecution uh, of Christians is a way of life for many around the world. And you and I as Christians honestly haven't faced a lot of persecution here in the United States. It just hasn't come. But we're facing more and more opposition as the days grow on. It's no, nobody threatens me not to be able to meet together. Nobody threatens you as you walk, walk into the doors of Refuge Church. Nobody threatens you that you can't pray. Nobody threatens you and things like that. But there are places where things are becoming, people are becoming more and more hostile to Christians as we live out this life. Lifestyles, compromise, secular relativism uh, will all be in opposition to the gospel message. All be in opposition that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except through him. People will be and are and will continue to be in opposition of that message. And we need the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fresh filling of the Holy, the ongoing filling of the Holy Spirit to be able to stand in the face of vitriol like that that may continue to come your way. Fourthly, Bible doctrine is of utmost importance. If you begin to compromise on the meaning and the intention of the scriptures, you will have no basis for truth. If, you're, if the true things that you believe are not deeply rooted in the things of God, deeply rooted in the scriptures that he has, deeply rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you will have no basis for truth. You will become a moral relativist. What, what is right in a situation? What is right to me? What is my truth? What is it that I'm going to decide today is right or wrong about this thing based off the way I feel, based off my circumstances, based off the crowd that I'm in, based off my fear of other people, based off my fear of man? You'll become a moral relativist. Stand firm, church. Stand firm, and not in your own power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not compromising in the shifting standards of the world around us and the lives in which we live. It'll be tough. 
It'll be lonely at times. There'll be times whenever you might be the only person standing for what the truth of the Word of God has to say. But know that our God reigns. Our God is supreme. He is still the one that holds it all together by the power of his word. He is also our Christus victor. I said this yesterday. He is the one who is victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and over all things that go on. He says one day he will put all of his enemies under his feet. That's the side you want to be on in Christus victor. Stand firm. Bible doctrine is of utmost importance. Lastly, keep praying for a transformed life, a transformed life and the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. Keep praying. This text that we read from today is a prayer. Don't let your prayers continue to be wrote and wrote and the same things over and again. Pray, pray for power, pray for anointing, pray for truth to be, to be in your life. Pray for you to understand what the truth and the will of God is in your life. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep repenting, keep reading your Bible, keep gathering for worship together. Keep living in community, keep telling other people about Jesus. Keep trusting the Holy Spirit to empower you to live this life. Just like the guys that we're reading about in our text today, they trusted the Spirit for power in their life. And lastly, for those of you who are outside the household of faith, either who don't understand this of what I'm saying because maybe the Spirit of God doesn't live within you, or maybe you're well aware that you're not a Christian. You're not a follower of Jesus today. Wherever you land, if you're outside the household of faith, your first step is to not try to just muster up enough in you to do this. Your first step is to repent. Turn from your sins. Put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. Trust Jesus alone for your salvation, for your heart to become alive to the things of God. You won't figure this out on your own. You need the Holy Spirit of God to bring truth to you, to light your way, and, and to, to, to give you uh, faith to believe. That's how I pray for people whenever they're, when I know they need to know the Lord, I'm like, God, give them faith to believe. Grant them repentance today. I would pray that for you to do. If you're outside the household of faith, I have prayed for you that God would grant you repentance and faith to believe the things of God. Believe the good news that Jesus lived the sinless life that you cannot live, the life that God calls us to live and you cannot do it, that he died on a cross to shed his blood for your salvation, to cover your sin debt. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And it took the precious blood of Jesus to cover your sin debt, for him to lay his life down, to shed his blood to cover your sin debt. And, and the glorious thing, the glorious thing that empowered these people, obviously was the Holy Spirit, was the fact that Jesus overcame that death and hell and the grave. And he is alive forevermore at the right hand of the Father, interceding on behalf of his saints. Believe the gospel. And then be baptized. That doesn't make, that doesn't make you say, baptism doesn't save you. But baptism is in obedience to the Lord and gives your message to the world around you that I have died to my old self and I'm raised to walk as a new creation. I follow Jesus. That's what baptism says to the world. That's my hope for you if you're outside the household of faith. If you are a follower of Jesus, be bold. Pray bold prayers. 
Live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Repent of your sin. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Keep following. Do it all for the fame of the name of Jesus. Let's pray.